you're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. We encourage you to use this podcast only as a supplement to your regular attendance or membership of a local church that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you're in Birmingham, we would love for you to visit Iron City. See more details at our website, ironcitychurch.org. Good evening. We'll do that one more time. Good evening. There we go. My name is Dustin Ratcliffe. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you, I would love to connect with you. As Cam already said, we're glad that you chose to worship with us here tonight. And this is a a standalone sermon about the radical pursuit of Christ from John chapter four. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's page 835 in your pew Bible. You'll see those in front of you. Feel free to grab one and take one with you if you don't have a copy of the scriptures. As I was reflecting upon tonight, I, I realized we really love the word radical in our society. This change is this radical change that we need, or I'm going to make some radical moves or differences or career paths or what we, we love to describe what's happening in our life and in our world as radical. A lot of times I think we use this as a positive term. There's certainly some folks that don't like the idea of anything radical, but I find myself hearing it a lot these days. I think one of the reasons why we love that the word radical, the idea of something radical is because we intrinsically know and feel at a very deep level that we need big change. We need something different in our lives. We need something different in our society. It's not just like, oh, hey, you know, we're close as a world where we almost got it straight. I don't think many people are like, hey, I'm close in my own life. We just almost got straight. We just need a little, little shift here. But we, we feel deep in our being that just the world needs something major to happen. Something's really off. The word radical, it has kind of two definitions that are connected. One is this idea of far-reaching or holistic difference, change, movement. And the other is uh, more related to like people, radical or or revolutionary. Sorry, extreme or revolutionary. And I think we see both of these things in Jesus. I would argue tonight, my, my premise tonight is that Jesus is the most radical person who's ever walked the face of this earth. Because Jesus comes on the scene and he proclaims something wild. I think if if we've been in the church for a while, we can miss the gravity of it. He comes on the scene and he, he says, repent, change, turn directions, leave what you've been following and follow me. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is near over and over and over again. And that is in contrast, actually total contrast to the present evil age that the scriptures talk about. That there's a darkness, there's a brokenness, there's an evil in our world that is at work. That's ruling and reigning in the world, in our lives, our society. And Jesus says, hey, I've come and I'm changing things. I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to set free those who are in bondage. 
I'm going to bring the kingdom of God. And what Jesus does is he spends really his entire ministry proving that he really is the God man by his powerful acts and demonstrations that are culminated through his death and resurrection. And that because he's the God man, he's fully God and fully man, that he is able to and willing to bring about this change. And that it is a free gift to us if we would just follow him. If we would leave whatever else we're pursuing for life and follow him. The miracles that he does, the teaching that he does, they, they all either demonstrate the power that Jesus has to bring this radically different kingdom of healing and hope and love and peace and joy and holiness, or they paint pictures of what that kingdom will look like. And often he's doing both at the same time. And so today, the, the story that we're going to be in of John 4 is one of these beautiful pictures that show Christ's radical pursuit of us. It's a beautiful and deep and broad story. We could preach it from a lot of different angles. There's a lot about God and his character and his nature that we see in here. But tonight, I want to talk and focus on Christ's radical pursuit. And so kind of when this lens that I just laid out with this picture of who Jesus is and what he's promising to do, I want us to look at John chapter four. Again, that's page 835 in your pew Bible. I'm gonna read verses one through 30. Then we're gonna skip a little bit of a, a sidebar that Jesus has and we're gonna read 39 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied, of, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered him, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered her, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying this. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
The woman, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You will you, your worship what you do not know. And we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Then they went out of town and were coming to him. In verse 39, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. So tonight from this story, we're not going to walk verse by verse through it, but I want to pull out four different movements we see in this text of how Christ's love radically pursues us. But before we jump into these four points, I just, there's two things I can't pass up that don't really fit in these categories. They're kind of part of this introduction. The first is that it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, that he had to. Well, we know from a lot of history that that's actually not geographically true. In fact, most Jews, what makes this story unique is that most Jews that were traveling from Judea to Galilee hated the Samaritans so much they would walk around the whole area to get there. So what, what's John mean that Jesus had to do this? Now, I don't know this is a definitive answer, but what I heard and read and found very provocative is that Jesus had to do this because of what Samaria represented. Jesus, again, is this radical revolutionary who's bringing a kingdom of light and hope into a world that's full of darkness and division and hate and sin. And Samaria, Samaria, Samaria represents a lot of those things. The Jewish people, the people of God that are supposed to embody the kingdom of God have gotten so backwards and so twisted that they were hateful to the Samaritans. They would not have anything to do with him. And Jesus said, no, I can't just pass by like everyone else. He walks into this area. He travels through them. He, he decides to set himself apart. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, but I just found that really challenging and beautiful. And secondly, Jesus was tired from his travels, is what the scriptures say. It just struck me as I was preparing, I couldn't leave this in the workshop, that Jesus was fully human. You know, one of the big questions we always talk about is, was Jesus really God? If he wasn't God, then he can't bring this kingdom we talk about. He can't defeat sin and death. 
can't stand our place, can't bring healing, can't bring hope. And so we talk about, about Christ's divinity and that's incredibly important, but I think sometimes we can miss Christ's humanity. And here in Jesus's weakness, his tiredness, he actually got tired. It's an opportunity for him to care for this woman. If Jesus could just march day and night, it doesn't say his disciples were tired, it says that Jesus was tired. And so he stopped at the well and he was thirsty. And so he wanted a drink. <clears throat> I just want to encourage you, if you are tired like I am of your weaknesses and your weariness, if you get frustrated by your limitations like I do, that Jesus, that God works in our weaknesses to bring about his kingdom. He uses our weaknesses to help us to care for others, to love others, to meet them in their weakness and their brokenness. But the first way that we see that Jesus radically pursues us is that Jesus radically pursues the marginalized. Jesus does this by he, he breaks down our barriers in society and within us. One of the profound things about the good news of Jesus <coughs> is that it does not prioritize the privilege. Most things in, in this world prioritize the privilege. The more money, the more knowledge, the more freedom, the more power, the more voice you have, the more opportunity you have for most things. But the good news of Jesus isn't about what you know. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you have. It's about receiving Christ's love, accepting his pursuit of you. And I think in a really unique and powerful way, especially in our day and age, that is powerful. That Jesus pursues the marginalized. And in fact, I would say prioritizes the marginalized. If you in here are like me in some ways, you have a lot of privilege, a lot of blessings, a lot of good things. There's more that we have to lay down to drink deeply of Christ's eternal life. But what we see here is Jesus goes out of his way not to talk to the leader of the Samaritans. He doesn't say, hey, I want to pursue reconciliation between the Jews and the Samaritans. I'm going to find the head of this city and in dialogue with him. No, he goes this well and he engages this Samaritan woman. This is in a culture that is patriarchal, sexist, where women had few rights and privileges and where women weren't really engaged if in dialogue. Men didn't talk to women if their husband or their father weren't around. And so to care for this woman, Jesus is breaking a lot of social norms and barriers. But I think in this story, even more than the, the sexism that was at play in the culture, in the community, it's the racism that he's addressing. See, the Samaritans, they were also followers of Yahweh, the, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, as he's made himself known. They believed the first five books of the scriptures were also the scriptures. But there was a split about 800 years before Christ's time. And the Samaritans went a different way. They married some of the surrounding nations and the Jews were harsh towards them. They thought they had become apostate. <coughs> so much that they disavowed them. They would not have any relationship with them. They did not permit the Jewish people to interact with them. In fact, interacting with them would make you ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go to the temple for worship, which was the fundamental part of being a Jew. You couldn't do that if you were having interactions with Samaritans. 
This was not just like a Auburn, Alabama kind of strife. No, this was deep hatred. It was evil. And Christ was not going to have any of it. And so he enters into this situation, a rabbi, a leader in the Jewish community in some ways, this prophet, and he shows up and he pursues a woman at the well at noon. So anyone in society would know, okay, this woman's coming alone to the well at noon. Most women came to the well in groups in the morning. Something's up here. Something's wrong. Something's sketchy. You know, when you kind of walk into a place, like, yeah, something's not right here. Jesus and anyone else who showed up would have known something was going on. But what I want us to see is that Jesus risked all the social norms and all the expectations and all that people would think about him to pursue this woman. And he doesn't just say, hey, let's talk. He asked her for a drink. And drinking from a vessel of a Samaritan would have made him ceremonially unclean. He would have been outcast in the Jewish people according to their laws and their rights. <coughs> and this woman knew that. There wasn't that much of a difference between the cultures. She recognized what he was doing that was radical. It caught her attention and it caused her to engage him. It broke through her expectations. When we radically love people, when we radically pursue people, it breaks through their expectations. In tonight's sermon, I really want to challenge us to both see how Christ pursues us and also to see how Christ calls us to pursue other people. This woman was used to being ignored. She was used to being marginalized. She was used to being treated poorly. And Jesus engages her in a way that causes her to pause. In fact, she's so surprised. She said, hey, you're a Jew, right? What are you doing asking me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? Jesus continues to break through the internal barriers that she's put up. Because I think a lot of times when people are hurt, maybe this resonates with you. When people are hurt, we put up our own protective barriers. People don't want to have anything to do with us and eventually we become people who don't really want to have anything to do with them. And so Jesus engages her and she kind of puts up some barriers. She's like, well, hey, you know, you're still a Jew and what about all this traditional stuff? Like, is, is Jacob right or are y'all right? There's this dispute between us. She even starts theologizing a little later about, well, who's really right? What are the barriers that you put up when Jesus begins to pursue you? When Jesus begins to pursue the brokenness in your life, the hard things in your life, the darkness in your life. And those around you in your life, what are the things that they put up? Because I think we can often see different ideologies, different belief systems as these things that we need to attack in some kind of combative way. But what Jesus does is he says, you're missing it. He, he breaks through all the things that this marginalized woman wanted to hold, hold to. And when we pursue people who are marginalized, there's going to be things that we're wanting to hold on to. And we need to help them recognize how Christ's love will quench their thirst in a way that these things will not. So Christ breaks through 
societal's barriers to pursue the marginalized. But Jesus also pursues us in our brokenness and our shame. Y'all still with me? Good. Good. I, I believe you, even though there was lots of head nods, even though there wasn't lots. I'll take this drink. Thank you. I'm sure my coughing is a lot for you than it is for me. Thank you, Cam, for that drink of water. So Jesus pursues us through our barriers, through our marginalization, but he also pursues us in our brokenness and our shame. I think a question we should ask ourselves from this text is why does Jesus ask about her husband? She, he offers her living water and she says, yes, give me this drink. Couldn't Jesus have just said, hey, well, uh, yeah, great, good. You want this eternal life? You want this living water? You want wholeness and healing? Um, just follow me. I am the Christ, as I just said. And he could, could just moved on, right? But no, Christ's love doesn't just engage our external desires. His Christ's love, Christ's love engages our internal brokenness, our spiritual need, our spiritual thirst. And so he stops and he presses in to the hard and the dark places of her life. He says, well, yeah, go get your husband and I'll tell you all about it. And she says, I don't have a husband. She tries, she tries to sidestep. And then he says, yeah, you're right. And he tells her everything that she ever did. I love that line. He's able to summarize all the hurt, all the brokenness, all the destructive behaviors that she has acted out and that she's had acted upon her. And it catches her attention. And I want us to take a minute to recognize how hurt and wounded this woman must have been. Because I think some of you in here tonight might be believing the lie that your shame or your brokenness or your difficulty is just too much for Jesus. But this woman lived in an incredibly religious and moralistic society. You didn't really get divorces. In fact, women could not get divorced. Men, on rare occasion, would leave a woman. But to be divorced five times was just unheard of. And to build upon the problem, that the fact that her first marriage ended in divorce, the society said, hey, look, you, you don't remarry. And so a, a man who would marry a woman who had been divorced would have probably not been a great guy. Probably had some ill motives and some ill intent. But that happens again and again. I think what we can see is we don't know her story and we won't be slow to presume, but there is brokenness in her life. She says, hey, all these things that I've done, she owns that there's brokenness in her life, but there must've been so much hurt and so much pain and so much shame in her own life. Starting to believe lies that she deserves what she's experiencing. And the society perpetuated that narrative. She was going alone to the well. This was dangerous. 
She was going in the heat of the day. She was doing that because she wanted to avoid the other women in the community. The brokenness in her life, the sin that she'd acted out, but also the sin that had been acted out upon her had left her extremely marginalized. An outcast in all of the darkest ways. So I don't know your story, but if that is something you feel, what Jesus does is he doesn't say, yeah, you know, I know all the things you've done and we got to talk about them. I want you to say you're sorry for all of them before you receive this living water. No, he engages those things because he wants her to know that when he asked for a relationship with her, when he asked for that drink of, li- of water from her, he knew all those things. He wanted to engage her knowing all of the shame that she carried, all of the social taboo that she had. That kind of pursuit in love was shocking to her. Christ's love knows no bounds. So I don't know what has caught you up. But I know for a lot of people in this room, shame and guilt and condemnation is part of your story. And Jesus meets you not with shame and not with condemnation, not with a list of changes, but he welcomes you as you are. He loves you in all of your brokenness. This was risky for him, for Jesus. His disciples were caught off guard. I want to ask us, before we move to this third point, what is this like in your life, Christian? Follower of Jesus. How are you pursuing and how are you engaging those in your life who are marginalized and riddled with shame and guilt? Are you pursuing them? Are you welcoming them into your life? Are you meeting them where they are? Jesus calls us to change, but that's after he has pursued us in love. So my third point is that Jesus radically pursuit Jesus radically pursues us to quench our thirst. So there is this beauty intention here. He doesn't want to just say, "Hey, you're loved." But he says, "You're thirsting for something, and that thirst is only met in me." Jesus doesn't let us stay in the things that bring death to us. We are all thirsting for something. We're all longing for something. We're all looking for something to give us meaning, to give us hope, to give us purpose. We want to connect. We want to be known. We want something to get rid of the pain and the sorrow and the difficulty of this life. We want something that will satisfy our deepest longings. And what we believe as followers of Jesus is that Jesus Christ uniquely does that. Through Christ's death and resurrection, he's made a way that we can have intimacy with him. 
We can know his love for us. But when what we are pursuing is not the love of God, we find ourselves thirsty again and again. And this can happen to us Christians. We can go back to dry wells, even though we know the good life-giving fruit of drinking from Christ's well. See, the love of Jesus is that we are fully known and fully loved. And that's found nowhere else. What are you chasing after to quench your thirst? Is it more money, more power, more security, more friendship? Is it more praise or acceptance or uniqueness or success? Is it love or affirmation? Is it your kids? Is it doing good things? Is it being a decent person? Most of the, all the things I, I read out are, are good, but they make horrible masters. If you've been chasing after these things and find yourself thirsty and tired and weary again and again, but maybe you're here today and your thirst is taking you down a dark path. The challenge for you is not seeing the emptiness of what you're putting your hope in, but it is knowing that there is light outside of the darkness that you're in. The bondage and the darkness are clear in your life. Your friendships and your family are suffering. You're addicted or you're enslaved. Your life is ruled by your thirst in really tangible and painful ways. To both of those groups, to all of us, Jesus says, come and drink. Come and drink and I will give you life. But what's unique is, you, have you ever tried to drink two things at once? It doesn't work. I've recently seen my children try to do this. It really doesn't work. And so Jesus' love radically pursues our counterfeit drinks. What are the things that you are trying to quench your thirst with? They're not Jesus. They're leaving you sick and they're leaving you wounded. For the woman at the well, it was her romantic relationship. She was hoping in and hurt by. They caused her shame and isolation and probably much, much more. And yet she couldn't get out of them. But hearing the invitation of Jesus, who is the Christ, as he says, who is the one who is saving, who is the one who is bringing this kingdom of wholeness and peace and love and justice, hearing him offer her eternal life, living water, holistic transformation, it radically changes her. She leaves her, 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 she leaves her jug behind. She goes back to the city. So my fourth and last point is that Christ's radical pursuit of us calls us to radically pursue others. We don't really get a whole story here of the woman at the well. We don't know how she works through all the pain and brokenness that she's experienced in her life. We don't know how she gets out of the broken relationship she's in. But we know that there's radical change in this. 
She leaves the well at noon again, the worst time to go to the well, the only time where no one's going to be there. She runs back to the city that she just left trying to avoid people. And she goes to the very people that have probably treated her horribly for the past five or 10 or 15 or 20 years. And she yells out, hey, come see a man who told me everything I have ever done. That's weird, right? I mean, think about that. Put yourself in that. Think about the person that you have a hard time not thinking ill of. Like, man, that person's life is messed up. And you know that they're real with shame, so they avoid you and everyone else. And then all of a sudden they come back and they're radically different and they're engaging you and you see hope in their eyes for the first time in forever. And they're talking about some guy that they met that told them all of the brokenness in their life. It's this radical love and acceptance that she's telling them about and it catches them off guard so much. Her change, her pursuit of them stirs in them to come see him. They come out to the well. They see Jesus. They see that something's going on. They recognize that he's the, G- the Christ. They see his radical love and pursuit. And so they say, hey, come to our city. Come and tell us. So this pit stop at a well leads to Jesus coming and proclaiming the good news of his kingdom to the Samaritans. And he stays there for two days and it says, many believed. The radical love of Jesus radically changes our lives. So I want to leave with two questions. Have you experienced this radical change? The invitation of Jesus is to come lay down whatever you're carrying. Your shame, your brokenness, your efforts to be decent enough and to rest in him. Come all who are weary and heavy laden and find rest in Jesus. Drink of the only thing that will quench your thirst. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about thirst, then I would love to talk with you afterwards because I believe that every person in this room knows what it's like to thirst deeply in your core. If you haven't, if that's not part of your story, I would love to talk with you more. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you have experienced this radical love, my question is, is it stirring you to radically love and to radically pursue other people? What barriers are you afraid to break through? What marginalized person are you slow to engage because of the awkwardness or the difficulty it might cause? Who are the people that you feel convicted of because you just think ill of them? Who's Jesus calling you to pursue with a living water that will never end? We're about to come to the table and drink of the cup and eat of the body. The, The table of Christ, communion as we call it, is for all who are trusting in Jesus for salvation. If that's not you, we ask that you would just wait. We'd love again to talk to you afterwards, but this is for all of us who are trusting in Jesus. And we partake in this 
weekly here at Iron City because we weekly need to be reminded of the love that we talked about today. That we are fully known and that we're fully loved. That Jesus sees all the darkness in our life and he gave his perfectly light, his perfectly holy, his perfectly wonderful life with no darkness in it. He died that we could have life, relationship with him, could be restored to one another and could be restored to the father. And we come and we drink of the cup of his blood that was shed for us. And we come and eat of his body that was broken for us to remember his great love for us as we await the day where his perfect kingdom will come. Let me pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we thank you for your radical pursuit of us and we thank you for your body and blood. For all who are weary, for all who are heavy laden with shame and guilt and fear and doubt, Lord, we come and we ask that you would nourish us for anyone in this room who doesn't know or isn't living in the life-giving intimacy we have in you, invite them, Lord. Stir up in their heart a curiosity, a hope for hope. Father, thank you for this time. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.